It's the Now and Innovation Show. It's a great honor to welcome back Nir Eyal, author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Nir is known as the prophet of habit-forming products. Welcome back to the show, Nir. Thanks for having me back. I'm uh, I'm glad that I got the re-invitation. Yeah, man. We got huge positive feedback from your last interview and a lot of people buying the book, getting in touch and saying how, how great it is. And it is. I mean, it, it's very forward-thinking book and so vital. And we're going to touch on this in, in today's chat, but so vital in a world that's going more and more screenless. Before we even go there, it'd be great to get a quick recap from, from the author himself on the Hook model. Sure. Yeah. Let me give you kind of a 30,000 foot overview. Basically, the, the book Hooked is about this design pattern that we see is embedded in all sorts of habit forming products. So if you think about the kind of technologies, both online and offline, frankly, that, that keep us coming back. So the book is mostly about this phenomenon of online products. So things like Facebook and Twitter and email and Instagram and Snapchat and, and WhatsApp and even in the enterprise companies like Slack. You know, what is it about these companies? What is it about the design of their products and services that keeps us coming back? Uh, so the book was really written for people who are looking to design these habit-forming products. And my hope was that people could take this information and not only use it for building social networks or time wasters, but also to build products and services that help us create healthy habits in our lives. Uh, and that and that's really the, the main motivation of, of why I wrote the book. And the 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 central... Uh, framework of the book is around explaining what I call the hooked model. And the hooked model is this four-step process that once you realize, once you kind of see it, you can picture it in all sorts of different products and services that bring you back. And so you can you can start you know being on guard for, for how these products hook us. Uh, and the four basic steps, I'll walk through them very, very quickly here, are a trigger, an action, a reward, and an investment. Uh, a trigger, there are two types of triggers, external triggers and internal triggers. I'll get back to the internal triggers in a second, but the external triggers you see every day. These are things in our lives, in our environment that tell us what to do next. Things like click here, buy now, uh, play this, uh, a friend through word of mouth telling you about this great new app you should try out or product you should try. Those are all external triggers. They tell you what to do next. Then the action is uh, is the simplest thing you can do to get a reward. So if you take let's let's take Facebook as an example. You know a lot of people use Facebook. Billions of people now use Facebook. So the external trigger would be a notification that you get on your phone that says, "Hey, somebody liked uh, your picture or something." The action would be to just open the app and start scrolling. As soon as you start scrolling, uh, now you're given the next step of the hook, which is the variable reward phase. Uh, so variable rewards are very, very powerful, and we see them in all sorts of engaging products. This comes from the classic work of B.F. Skinner. Skinner, in his famous experiments, took these pigeons, he put them in a little box, and he gave them a reward, a little food pellet, every time they pecked at this little disc. So what Skinner could do through what he called operant conditioning, he could train the pigeons to peck at the disc whenever they were hungry. Great. Peck at the disc, get a little food pellet, terrific. But then Skinner did something a little different. He started introducing a variable reward. So sometimes the pigeon would peck at the disc and no food pellet would come out. The next time the pigeon would peck at the disc, they would get a reward. And that, that variability, what, what Skinner observed was that the rate of response, the number of times the pigeon pecked at the disc increased when the reward was given on a variable schedule of reinforcement. And we see that in all sorts of products. I mean, online and offline this variable reward, this uncertainty, this mystery is what keeps us engaged again and again, whether it's 
with news, right? The reason the news is so engaging, we keep checking the headlines and seeing what's going on. It's because it, we want to know what's new, what's different. Uh, sports, right? The reason we like watching uh, a ball bounce across a field is because it's variable. We don't know where that ball is going to land. Uh, the reason gambling is is habit forming, if not addictive. And of course, back to technology, that endless feed, that news feed that just goes on and on, and it's full of all this interesting content that we want to engage in. And you're not sure, you know, is the next thing going to be interesting or not interesting? And so that keeps you scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, just like pulling on a slot machine. And then finally, the last step of the hook is the investment phase. And this is probably the most overlooked. What's really special about the investment phase is that the investment phase is where the user puts something into the product in anticipation of a future benefit. Uh, And this is something that makes uh, the hooked model very different from just a plain old habit loop, is that the, the investment phase is really special in that it's something that you can only do when you have a two-way street, when you can communicate with the user and also receive data back from the user. And that's really the the secret behind why these products are becoming so habit-forming is because you are co-creating the products based on the information you provide, the data you give them, the content you upload, the followers and friends you accrue, the reputation that you build on these sites makes the product better and better and better with use. So you're co-creating Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack. You're making the product with the product creator through your investment. And then finally, just to kind of loop it back around, once you've done this trigger action reward investment enough times, the product will condition you to no longer require that external trigger at all. And this is a really big deal. I mean, if you think about it, I don't know how many of you saw the the Super Bowl that was just uh, aired a few weeks ago, but you didn't see any commercials for Facebook or Snapchat or Slack or Instagram. Why not? I mean, these companies have you know hundreds of millions, if not billions, of users, and yet they spend almost no money on advertising. Well, because they don't need to bring people back through spammy messages and expensive marketing campaigns, they bring people back to their products and services out of habit. And they do that by attaching to that second type of of trigger I mentioned earlier, the internal trigger. The internal trigger is a painful emotion. It's something that doesn't feel good, that to relieve that discomfort, we use some kind of product or service. We immediately jump to opening an app, playing a video, reading the news, doing something to take us away from that discomfort. And that typically is an uncomfortable emotion. And so once companies can attach to those internal triggers, once the solution to your problem is the product's use, you instantly use it with little or no conscious thought. You describe this often as the vitamin, not the painkiller. So it's actually this investment, that constant investment in the product, which makes the product better. And that's a key piece that so many traditional companies who are moving to digital totally miss. They miss that internal, external trigger piece, the investment. And you've given this perfect framework to actually go okay and let's build the product with this framework in mind because as we are moving towards this greenless world this mm-hmm. is so key to have people hooked because how can you advertise them you you mentioned those products not having to advertise but there's so many other products that are going to miss the boat if we go to a screenless world with the rise of alexa with the rise of siri your hook model becomes very very important Right. I mean, this this is why I, I started down this path in the first place. In fact, the 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 impetus to to do this research and write this book was that 
I had a hypothesis uh, around where the world was going. And, and I was frankly looking for what kind of company I'd want to start next. I, I've started two tech companies. And uh, when the last one was, was acquired, I had some time on my hands. And I kind of sat down and said, okay, how am I going to allocate my human capital? What am I going to do next? And to do that, I kind of thought like uh, I, I took a cue from my venture capitalists uh, who invested in my company, the VCs who invested. Uh, they would talk about how they invest their 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 financial capital, and so I want to figure out how would I invest my human capital. You know, as an entrepreneur, you can't do what the VCs do. You know, the VCs will spread their investment, uh, uh, their money in many many different investments. But as an entrepreneur, you can only pick one horse to ride at a time. So I really wanted to put some thought into how I was going to invest my human capital. And what I realized was is that you know as the as the interface shrinks, as more of our time with technology is spent with interfaces with smaller screens. I mean, literally smaller screens. Think about it. When we went from the desktop to the laptop to the mobile interface to then the wearable interface, if you think about the the wrist-worn devices, that's an even smaller interface. And now the screen interface has completely disappeared. When you think about it, you mentioned products like Amazon's Echo or uh, uh, Microsoft Cortana or the, the Google Home device. These voice interfaces, what I call conversational user interfaces, these these conversational UIs, these are going to become an increasingly important part of our day-to-day routines. And of course, the challenge for someone who's trying to be a part of that future is that the user's behavior is completely dependent on habit. Meaning, if I don't remember what to ask Alexa for... Uh, I, I can't use those skills. I can't use those apps, so to speak. They're called skills, but but in this case, they're you know th- these 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 technologies that other developers have built. If I don't remember what I want to ask, I I won't ask for it. It's not like an app on your home screen that you can see the button. Even though today on on even on mobile, you know if you're not on that first page on that on that home screen of someone's phone, your app might as well not even exist because they're just not going to remember to use you. So you're absolutely right. I think uh, as the interface shrinks and eventually uh, the, the screens disappear completely, habits become even more important. Yeah, and, and it really rises, it raises your stock, both as a consultant, but also the book as well. It makes the book even even more important here. I, I know the positive uh, aspects of the Hooked model because I actually, once I read the book, I started applying it to my own training and even my writing and kind of going, okay, how do I actually have a reward and how you know what is that reward and what Mm -hmm. how do i trigger and like for example it might be training before breakfast so breakfast becomes the reward and i'm done for the day Mm, yeah that kind of stuff and do do you use it yourself from a writing perspective do you are you aware of it now you need two different sides of the coin you need to do the thing you want to do but you also need to not do the things you don't want to do okay pretty simple so where the hook model applies, I think, is with with the second category, the things you want to stop doing. So I actually, you know, the 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 Trojan horse of this book is that you know people buy the book because they think, oh, I want to build the next Facebook, and that's terrific. I, I want people and I to, to buy the book and build healthy habits for users. That's terrific, and I've seen many companies now do this with the book, which is which is you know amazing. It's made it so worthwhile. But the second reason, the Trojan horse here, is not only that I, I want people to buy the book thinking they're going to create a great new product and a great new habit for their users, but also is that when you read the book, you, you can't help but realize that this is being done to you, right? That these hooks 
are bringing you back. <laughs> uh, and sometimes they're getting you to use products and services more than you'd like or, or at times that you don't want to. So when you say, okay, have you used this in your life for writing? Uh, I don't use it so much to do the writing itself. And I'll tell you why in just a second. I use it to break the hooks I don't want in my life, right? So that by understanding how these technologies hook us, we can thoughtfully break the hook. We can remove the triggers. We can make the action more difficult. We can delay the reward and we can make sure not to invest. I just took the same four steps that I described earlier and thoughtfully put friction between those steps. And that's how you would break a bad habit. Now, the reason I don't use the hook model to get back to, to the earlier point, the reason I don't use the hook model to write, to do these behaviors is because writing is not a habit. Okay, uh, anybody who says writing is a habit doesn't understand, either doesn't write or doesn't understand what a habit is. Uh, a habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. Writing is not something I do with little or no conscious thought. It's hard. It takes a lot of thought. It's not something that's effortless in any way, shape, or form. And so it will never become a habit. What it is, is a routine. Okay, a routine is just a, a behavior repeated frequently. So I can, I, and that's what I do. To write, I set time in my day. I have two hours every day. I can sit down at my desk and I practice this routine of writing. To do that, I have to remove these other distractions, which is where I have to break these hooks in my life. So, so uh, that's how I've kind of made this practical and, and used it in my everyday life. That makes a lot of sense, man. I would have had that the other way around. I would have tried to form a habit rather than as you say, break a habit, and uh, that's a val valuable tip. You mentioned that we start to notice, which we are. It's it's almost like reminds me of the Matrix. You've taken the the red or blue pill, and you're, <laughs> all of a sudden you're awake, and you're awake and kind of going, "Hey, wait a second, I'm being manipulated here." Now, now not in a malicious way, but it does raise this question that I was I was getting to before, which is the ethical question about yeah. habit forming products and habit forming in the right way. And I know this is something you're going to talk about at the Habit Summit coming up on April 4th to 5th in San Fran. Right. It looks like an awesome event. We'll touch on that in a second, but it'd be great to touch on the ethics, the ethical part of habit forming. Yeah, yeah. So this is something I think about a lot uh, since I wrote the book because I, I get a lot of folks uh, you know, who come to my workshop or a talk I'm giving and, or they ask something similar to what you did of like, you know, is this is this okay? Like, is this, is this kosher to do to people to, to use their hidden psychology to, to manipulate them to do things? Uh, and I think that is, that is great. Uh, I, I want that conversation to occur. Like I said, I mean, the, the, the Trojan horse of the book is that it helps you evaluate your, your own behaviors. Uh, and I think that's, that's very important. And I think it's going to become increasingly important because look, the, the free market forces that none of us can stop, uh, will, inevitably create products and services that are harder to resist in the future. Uh, that, 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 you know, if you think using Facebook is, is habit forming, wait till you get immersed into VR, right? What one, you know, there, there will be new technologies that become even harder to disconnect from in, in the future. And so I think it behooves all of us to kind of understand what hooks us and therefore, how to unhook and put technology in its place. And so that's something I care about deeply on a, on a personal level. And I, I give tips actually on my blog. If you, if you go to nearandfar.com and you search unhooked, there's a 15-minute there's a talk I give around exactly how to do this, how to break the four steps in the, the hook model to put technology in its place. But all of that is about the person, uh, you know, the user themselves, how to exact some personal responsibility. Because I think, look, that even though 
uh, it's not your fault that these products hook you. It's your responsibility. Okay, even though it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. Meaning, it's not your fault that uh, the baker down the street makes these amazing cakes and cookies and uh, donuts. They're just so delicious, right? And that you know, think about it. That is a technology. The the amount of 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 machine engineering that has gone into making this beautiful white flour and this highly refined sugar and create and, and put together in just the right proportions to make them irresistible. That is just as much a habit forming, if not addictive technology as Facebook is. But, you know, we don't complain to the baker and say, stop making all these delicious desserts. They're too good. We, we take responsibility for our behavior and we dial it back. Maybe we'll have, you know, dessert once in a while, but if you have too much sugar, you're going to suffer consequences. And so that's what I think what we're seeing when it comes to these online technologies. So it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Now, that's the personal side. The, the maker side, I think, is a whole nother story. And I think, this, so this is what my, my talk at the Habit Summit is going to be about. It's about how to manipulate people in a good way. Meaning that manipulation is not necessarily wrong. Manipulation is just influencing people's behavior. And we do this all the time. Uh, the way we dress, when we uh, go on a sales call, when we build a web page, all of this stuff is meant to manipulate. But there's a big difference between the two different kinds of manipulation. There is persuasion and there's coercion. Persuasion is when we influence people to do things they want to do, okay? To do things they want to do. Coercion is when we get people to do things they don't want to do. And I think there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, a big difference between the two. And so my talk is going to be about how do we make sure that we stay in that that good category of persuasion, which I think is perfectly ethical because I think the real value, the real problem, look, is, is not that a few companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram have gotten so good at hooking us. The real problem is that far too many companies don't hook us enough, right? If you think about your local businesses or government services or geez, you know, the vast majority of websites out there, they don't suck us in, not the way Facebook and Twitter might. No, they just plain old suck. And so that's that's the real opportunity. And the real problem is that far too many companies don't use this stuff. I mean, think about how much better our world would be if we could get hooked to physical activity and exercise, if we could get hooked to healthy food, if we could get hooked to being in contact with people we love on a regular basis, if we could get hooked to all sorts of good habits. I think the world would be a much, much better place. And that's what I want people to do with this book. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't also, like any superpower, use the forces for evil. And I think that's where the ethical line is crossed when you essentially trick people. When you get people to do things now, but then later on, they realize, wait a minute, I didn't want to do that. That's that's not at all what I wanted to do. And so my, my talk at the Habit Summit is really going to be about what's the ethical code and the key question here that I think the design community has yet to answer is a very simple question, is what do we as business people, what won't we do? Okay, what won't we do? And I think every company, uh, you know, a lot of companies have their company motto or the, the mission statement or whatever other bullshit. I think what's even more valuable than any of that stuff that nobody actually remembers is a very clear articulation of what won't we do, meaning what persuasion tactic won't we use? Now, for most companies, it's don't break the law, okay? Just don't get us in jail. And I think that's a, that's a pretty low bar. I think we can do a lot better than that because there's a lot of things that are currently legal and yet are coercive. 
Uh, and the real cost of using these coercive tactics, of course, it's from an ethical perspective, it's bad news. But I think that with the, the real cost that I think companies fail to consider is that this kind of stuff comes back to bite you in the ass. That when people have discovered that you've tricked them, that you've made them do something that they did not want to do, they not only do they stop using your product, they stop buying from you, they'll tell all their friends that you're terrible. Uh, and so that's the real cost. So that's really what, what the talk is going to be about. That sounds awesome. And it, it makes total sense because there's random mission statement generators online where you can just throw in a load of words and it'll garble out a mission statement. It's hilarious when you, when you have a look at it. But when you actually see some of the mission statements companies have, that they, they have locked away in a desk somewhere that nobody right. knows, that nobody's aware of, and they don't have a true North Star. And more than ever, there's a need for that actual right. clarification or clarity and of vision and purpose every day. What do I get out of bed for every day? What do I, what's the benchmark I, I make my decisions against every day? And that's so lacking in companies. And it's, I don't know what you think about yeah. this, but I often think of, you know, there's the, everybody saying, oh, millennials are job hoppers. And you're kind of going, are they or are they looking for meaning? Are they looking for companies who have a purpose, who have a meaning? that they go to work every day to want to achieve something more than a paycheck. And is that, is that something that's in the world? So you raise a really, a really valid point there. Yeah. And I actually think, I think there's a universal, just to kind of give you a, 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 a preview into what I'm going to talk about. I, I think, I think there's actually a universal ethical guide that I, I've tried to really distill down to answer this question of what won't we do. And I think, I think it's actually pretty simple that if the, the rule is as, as a product designer, that when asked, what won't we do? The answer is we don't do anything that if the user, or sorry, we don't design any behaviors that if the user knew everything we knew, they wouldn't do. Meaning if the user, if our customer, if our user could get inside our heads and know everything that we know about what we're doing, if knowing that information, they wouldn't take that action, then we shouldn't do it. So I, I think that as a, as a guide is it would, would prevent uh, really, you know, the, all the unethical uh, uh, misapplication of, of these persuasion techniques. Yeah, man, that sounds like a, a fascinating talk, and uh, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to be in San Fran. I'm going to try and uh, swing that one to get over for the Habit Summit, and it looks like an awesome event. We've got a fantastic lineup. We've got uh, Jane McGonigal, who wrote Reality is Broken and Super Better. She's a gamification uh, pioneer. She's going to be talking about habits uh, from the future. Uh, we've got uh, Nandini Stoker, who's from Google, talking about uh, those conversational user interfaces I talked about earlier. We have Susan Weinshank, who's going to talk about the top five things you need to know about people to design for engaging products and services. Uh, we've got Carl Marcy from Nielsen Neuroscience talking about habits, addictions, and the distracted consumer. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The roster is just amazing. Uh, we have Buster Benson from Slack uh, talking about cognitive biases. So it's a really, really good lineup this year. This is the fourth uh, Habit Summit, and uh, it's going to be bigger uh, than ever this year. We're, we moved it to the Mission Bay Conference Center in San Francisco so we can hold even more people, uh, which we constantly get feedback from participants that the people who attend, uh, these like-minded folks who want to use behavioral design for good, are really a, a huge draw for why to attend. It's just interacting with these other professionals who think the way you think. That's fantastic. So and, and tickets are available on habitsummit.com. Right, habitsummit.com. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and thank you again for your time and your wisdom. Niriel, the prophet of habit-forming products and founder of Habit Summit, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.